Hey everyone, I'm Bruce and you're listening to Clearly Unfiltered, a short-form podcast that offers clear, concise, unfiltered and undoubtedly flawed thoughts on how and why I'm butchering some of my own sacred cows. In each episode, I'm going to let those steaks sizzle and serve them up medium rare or blue and now and again well done or charred. In my process of spiritual misfittery, the internet has really been my friend. On Instagram in particular, I've found a number of accounts that have helped me to navigate some of the internal disruption I've felt for, well, probably the better past of the last decade or so. It's been so liberating to finally have words for this journey and to realize that I'm not a lone sojourner in the wilderness. If you need context for my spiritual misfittery, or what that term even means, listen to the mini episode that dropped just before this one. It'll explain a lot. One of the people I bumped into on the internet is Joy Vetline. There is something about how she can put words to what seems to be my experience. I often see Joy post something and I'm like, wow, was this written just for me? Joy describes herself as a pastor and spiritual misfit and is also a writer who is reconstructing faith for other spiritual misfits. She is also a spiritual curiosity advocate and her Sunday Soul Care newsletter is something to look forward to every Sunday, for me at least, after the family coffee run and hangout that's replaced church kind of vibe in which we find ourselves. Anyway, I'm amped that Joy agreed to join me for this episode and I'm excited for all of you to hear her wisdom. The steak is sliced and diced and ready for the stir fry. Joy Vetterlein, it is such a privilege to be speaking with you today. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, I stumbled across your content on Instagram and it's just wonderful to be able to have this conversation with you today about being a spiritual misfit, which is very much where I see myself. On your Instagram bio, you identify as a pastor and spiritual misfit who's reconstructing faith for other misfits, and I include myself in that uh, category. Um, what does that term misfit mean for you? I'm, I'm interested to dive into that first, and why would you consider yourself a misfit. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And uh, let's, let's explore that idea of being a misfit a little. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I have, um, you know, one of the reasons I started writing it all was to find friends for myself. <laughs> and so it always makes me happy when people kind of reach out and are like, hey, we're the same. And I'm like, thank you. That's why I'm doing this. So I always have appreciated that you kind of reached out. Um, and I'm so glad to be here and supporting you. I love what you're doing. It's so awesome. Um, so I guess the word misfit, I have felt like a misfit long before there was any sort of like religious component to it. I've just always kind of been a person who's like a little on the outside of things looking in. Like if I was in an eighties movie, I'd be like the like smart, quiet, artsy kid who doesn't know what to wear and, you know, has this like, so much going on in my brain, but I never say it out loud. So I felt like a misfit for most of my life already when I was still a Christian. Um, and, and then the, the spiritual component of it came when I realized I was just starting to have some 
questions and some thoughts that were just a little different than um, the faith that I had been taught and that I was promoting because I I worked in ministry. And so I was actively promoting this particular um, culture, this set of beliefs, this just sort of like model of how to be in relationship with God. And I just was sort of questioning it and had concerns about it. And I would go to fancy church leadership conferences and think, huh, this feels more like high school than it does like the way I imagine Jesus to be. Like, there's the cool kids with the cool clothes. And like, why am I over here again if we're all equal in Christ? Like something's not right here. And um, and so I came to a point where I just sort of got tired of thinking it was all me being weird that was the problem. And I decided to believe in the merit of my own thoughts and ideas. And so I just sort of like took this word misfit. And instead of making it a word that I used to shame myself with, started just sort of like claiming it with pride and to say, you know what? I am different. My brain does work differently, but I am going to say that that's a good thing and that I have something to offer the world because I'm different and that I'm not going to hide, hide in shame and try to like, conform and, you know, conform into the homogeny that is American Christianity. Um, Yeah, because I'm obviously American. You can tell from how I speak. Um, But I, yeah, so it was just sort of like a rebellion against, for me internally, just to claim that part of myself, both as a person and my personality um, and as a person who, who has, was just tired of feeling like less than because I actually had ideas to challenge the status quo of faith. I'm fascinated to hear from you in, in terms of the context of evangelicalism was, was part of that feeling like a misfit because you were a a woman in a very patriarchal space. Yeah, for sure. I think Um, I was not in the, I was, I wouldn't say I was in a fundamentalist setting, but it definitely, my settings all leaned more on the conservative side. Um, you know, I went to college and had the theology classes where we learned all about complementarianism and why, you know, egalitarians were evil and, you know, incorrect and, and, and it was dangerous. Um, I worked in a church where women could be in leadership, but they were always directors and not pastors. I worked in the worship ministry. I was the only woman and there was a lot that I was left out of because I was a woman and it was done in the name of propriety and um, appropriateness and respecting me. But I always resented how that, how I got left out. For instance, like there was like some really revered men who were actively wanting to mentor young leaders. They weren't looking to mentor female leaders. They were looking to mentor male leaders. So all of the interns on the, you know, the youth interns all got taken out to lunch by these men who have like done these great things and they got to go to coffees and develop these rich supportive relationships. And I was just there and I'm like, I got more like integrity than this Yahoo. Like I know what he's up to on the weekends. Like, are you kidding me? And I couldn't even get the, like, I can't even get anybody to pay attention to me. And, um, 
Yeah. So I think that was definitely a part of it, but there was also the part, there was women who were, who were doing it, but they were like loud and charismatic and I was an introvert and I was quiet and there's just not room for, for any kind of leadership. That's not like, um, super extroverted and charismatic in, in the evangelical world. Yeah, it's so interesting you mentioned that idea of being in being an extrovert is I've figured out much later in my life that I am in fact an introvert, but because of how I grew up in the church, it was almost like extrovert was it and was the thing. And I've I've had to learn that it's okay for me to be a bit of a loner and and to be on the margins rather than to be in the center, you know. That's like how you love people. Like if you're not going after people all the time, you don't love them. You're selfish. That was how I felt. So, Joe, the way I understand it, you found yourself sort of moved out of vocational ministry. Um, and as you went through that process, what were some of the red flags that challenged you to start your own spiritual misfit journey? Yeah. So I had been in ministry for um, either, you know, off and on with church, a couple churches, a couple parachurch organizations. And for it had been, you know, 12 to 15 years. And um, I, by the church I was working at, I was really struggling there. Um, and they had a big restructuring. And um, there suddenly was like two people with my job and they gave the job to the other person. And I found myself, you know, without a job. Um, and it was, it was simultaneously extremely traumatic and a huge relief. Um, but what it did for me was that all of those questions that I had been asking in secret, um, thinking that it was my fault for thinking these things, that if I just was doing all the things more, I wouldn't be, be, troubled by questions like, was the cross like really such a big deal? Like, did why is it such a big deal that Jesus died for us? These are the kinds of things I was thinking about. My entire life, I had been connected to institutional religion in some key way that made it impossible for me to think about it clearly. My dad was a pastor when I was a kid. I was, you know, church was a huge part of my life in high school, even when my family's livelihood wasn't dependent on it. I went to a Christian university. Right after that, I started working in churches. And so when I lost that job, it was the first time when I had been truly free from any like committed relationship to institutional religion. And it allowed me the freedom to fully take stock of everything. Because until then, I would I would have moments where I'm like, I, whoa, I don't know if this is okay. But you know what? I can't go there because I have medical benefits and my kid needs to go have surgery. So I can't question this because this is how we're paying for everything. Um, and so once I was relieved of that, I was able to really question to dive into those questions and to sit and and look at the pain, you know, like I said, it was a really traumatic experience. Most of my relationships with these religious institutions had ended pretty traumatically um, as a child and then, um, you know, into adulthood. And so looking at that and finally like going to therapy and starting to heal and say like looking, um, you know, looking at 
the fruit of these institutions in my life. And I was forced to admit that they had not borne good fruit in my life, that there was a lot of disease along the way that led to these super hurtful, harmful, toxic settings. And I was finally willing to believe that it wasn't just my fault, that there was something wrong besides me. And so that really is what did it. As I looked at these institutions, I'm like, what's driving these churches to be this way? And really at the the bottom of it is a theology of hell. People are going to hell. We have to save them and we have to do whatever it takes. So we are going to get them here. Like youth group kids, go invite your friends. Like everything a church does is based on this one theology. And I realized like, I'm not even sure I agree with this theology. Like I'm not sure I buy it. And the more I learned about, you know, what healthy relationships and what, you know, qualifies as spiritual abuse and toxic relationships, I realized like, this is how we've been presenting God. Like this is the entire scope of our relationship with God is based on this super codependent, unhealthy understanding that God wants certain things from us and is withholding certain things until we act in a certain way. And it, it's, it's been a process, but at some point I was just like, forget this. I would rather start from scratch than see what there is to save. Yeah. I mean, the term deconstruction has become very popular and I don't actually know if it's a term that I'm comfortable with or like, uh, you know, and I think it means different things to different people. And, you know, I love that you focus on being a spiritual curiosity advocate. So I love love that term. Mm -hmm. Um, But why do you think mainstream church folk and particularly evangelicals, and, and that's anecdotal in my experience, are so afraid of and vehemently opposed to this misfit journey that so many of us find ourselves on? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all anecdotal for me too. But I think that for a while, there was a few people who would maybe go through this kind of thing and it was like, oh, they're just they're just like a doubting Thomas. You know, they're just having to like question God, but God can handle your questions and, you know, just keep the Bible at the center of it. It it what it happened, but it was rare. And I think more often than not, people would just kind of stop coming, but not be vocal about it. Um, but I think I was like, we have seen a huge surge of this happen really, I think over the pandemic. And I think I was just prior to started into this world just prior to that, Um, and I think that the number of people who are questioning is, is now becoming a threat to the way things have been. So I think that when something is like, oh, this isn't just one person, this isn't a a pastor I used to know is now saying they don't believe this anymore. Like, whoa, these are some people I really used to trust and respect and they seemed pretty smart. And now they're saying this other thing, like, I don't know what to do with that. Um, So I think um, there's a couple things at play. One is that these are organizations that are dependent on um, donations to survive. And I think that these organ, like churches I'm talking about specifically, they may, some of them genuinely be doing some good, in their communities. Um, if they have, you know, some local 
outreach programs or international programs, they may be doing some good. And so they are trying to protect that good and to protect the ministry that they think they are doing. They have to sort of address this. Um, I think that's one thing. I think another aspect of it is that um, there's this sense in which part of the evangelical culture and this is one thing that I really recognize later as being super toxic and unhealthy. But there's this element of evangelical culture that says your belief will be tested and your loyalty to your beliefs is the true test of your faith. So if you become disloyal to these beliefs, that shows a lack of faith. And so instead of a relationship with God being something that can be dynamic, that can grow and change over time as we grow and change over time. This relationship with God has become about God wanting to see if we can withstand the test of doubt and if we are going to be loyal to the truth or if we are going to fall. And so it's become this weird thing where we asso- like people associate um believing what they've always believed with being a sign of their loyalty and devotion to God. And I don't think that's how God works. I don't think you think that either, but I think that that is at the root of a lot of it. Um, I could go on and on about this. Yeah. Uh, We, we probably both could. I I think so much of what you just said just sort of hits me in my gut, you know, um, because it resonates so deeply with my experience too. You know, you mentioned um, or you alluded to to relationships and to other people, and uh, I feel like I'm living in this tension or I'm concerned about the people who knew me before this untangling became more obvious. Um, I was wondering, you know, how have you navigated that space where you desire to live fully in 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 who you are currently in this dynamic relationship mm-hmm. you have with God, um, and and hold that tension between who people thought you were or maybe want you still to be. Yeah, you know it's kind of sad, <laughs> but. I actually, I don't know that I've had to deal with this as much because once I started, um, you know, once I left the church and really sort of set down this path, um, all those relationships ended. There's nobody calling me, begging me to come back to church. Like that, when I say the ending with that last job was traumatic, that's what I mean is that I went from having a community to literally overnight not having a community, people wanting nothing to do with me once I didn't work there. And so then now like throw on the fact that like I, you know, am out here talking about it and not believing in like Jesus and hell and anything anymore. It's like, There's nobody calling me. So I guess in some sense, if you have people who care enough about you to at least try to convince you to come back to church, you should like feel a little loved because I think there's probably, I'm not the only one who it's like, oh, forget her, you know, forget him, Um, you know, have a nice life. Um, 
So there is a sense where sometimes I have conversations in my head, just trying to figure out like what I would say to someone if I bump into them at the grocery store, because I still live like really close to all these people. And so I'm just kind of like being who I am. And um, there's not much pushback, but it's like, unfortunately, because there's not many people to push back. So I don't know if that's a strategy so much as just sort of like a pity party, but <laughs> that's that's my reality. That just that just strikes me as 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 very telling about those spaces, you know, when when there's just sort of radio silence after someone leaves, and I've heard that from lots of people. You know, they yeah. they haven't you know don't go to church for months, and no one reaches out, and they sort of say, well, if that's how it is, it's how it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so as we close this conversation, I really just would love for you to share a little bit about the work you you now do and why you do what you do. Yeah. I really see my work now as I still consider myself a pastor, even though I haven't been ordained or anything. No church is paying me. No church wants me, to be honest. Um, but if a pastor is just someone who helps shepherd souls and helps people make sense of their own spirituality, that's really what I feel like my calling and purpose and passion. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe those words <laughs> I hate them coming out of my mouth, but I don't, can't think of alternatives for them. So I'm going with it. Um, that's really who I've always been, whether that was in a church or now out of it. So um, I really care that people who are also where I was know that they're not alone. I really care that people have a place to be able to talk to to other people, other like-minded people about this, because this is not, it's hard to run into people like this on the street. You can't go find them at church because none of us go there anymore. And so to create this space online where like by me saying things and people sort of like identifying with me, then I can be like, okay, you guys are all here. Let me introduce you to each other. Like go be friends. That's really what the band of spiritual misfits has become. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to, I don't have an agenda for what anybody believes. Um, like you said, deconstruction and reconstruction are words that have gotten a whole lot of meanings. I use them because I think everybody knows what you mean when you say them, but really I, my whole goal is just to help people find the spiritual path that they want to take. Um, and and whatever hangups might come from their religious past, just like trying to help figure out what those are and take those out of the way so that people can move forward and figure out based on who I am, my background, my own set of issues and traumas, like how can I connect to God within me and engage in the world in a whole way, a whole human body, mind and spirit, um, So that looks so different for a lot of people. And I love the challenge of creating content that helps people tap into what's true for them and not just be like, don't believe what they told you. Believe what I tell you. Not interested. But that's really, that's, that's the work I'm trying to do. Well, Joy, I think, you know, as, as a misfit, I think I've certainly found that. And I want to thank you for holding 
space for me and for others like me who are on this journey and I'm hoping other people will check out what you're doing um, but I know there are many who are grateful for your words and your thoughts and those weekly emails um, and I'm particularly grateful that you were willing to spend half an hour with me talking about this stuff um, and answering five questions so thank you for being on Clearly Unfiltered. Thank you for asking me. I'm honored. So that's it. And I have nothing to add, really. But I suppose there's lots for all of us to process. You can follow Joy on Instagram and head to her website to subscribe to her newsletter or to join her band of spiritual misfits. I'll add the links to the show notes. Thanks for listening. Look out for episode four around April 29th. And follow Clearly Unfiltered on the gram, if you like, at Clearly Unfiltered Pod. And also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That way you won't miss an episode. Until then, however, be cool and stay safe.